Melbourne victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Ever wanted a career in football? At the Global Institute of Sport, you can now study a master's degree in football business or football coaching and analysis right here in Australia. GIS is the largest provider of sports degrees in the UK with campuses at Wembley and Etihad Stadium. Learn online with unique access to the iconic MCG and a big-hitting Australian industry network. Be one of the first Australians to get a football master's degree and join GIS's global network of football leaders. Apply now to start in February 2023. Learn more at gis.sport.fnr. That's gis.sport.fnr. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Lucky Flanagan and Jason Goldsmith back with you on Football Nation Radio for a, another edition of the Oz Football Hour. And God, it gives me a lot of pleasure to be able to be saying this back on the Oz Football Hour for a review, a review, Jason, of the opening round of the A League men's season. How did you find it being a back in and amongst the A League football? Uh, hello, Lockie. Um, fantastic to watch plenty of games, plenty of entertaining games, um, and have a lot more to talk about than the unpleasantness that we spoke about last week. So it's it's great that we got a chance to to review uh, the A League back and in full swing. Exactly, and there's plenty of uh, different things to to talk about. Of course, the the grand final replay ending in favour of the premiers on this occasion, Melbourne City getting the win over Western United. Of course. La Nina deciding to nix the uh, the F3 derby, which was a great disappointment, uh, followed up swiftly by the, I think, the neutrals favourite from the, the weekend, Sydney's Allianz homecoming. Not quite ending in the right way, but a, a cracking game for, for all involved, pretty much. Victory yeah, I, getting I, the 3-2 I, win. I, I think the Big Blue was my, my favourite game of, of the weekend, despite... The weather too, because there was a lot of rain in that game as well. There was, there yeah. was, there was a legitimate concern at one point in that game. I was like, are they going to stop this? Like it was, it's getting pretty heavy underfoot. Yeah, the puddles of the the last sort of ten minutes with the players slipping and sliding was something to behold. But um, I'm glad they got through it. You, the welcome, the homecoming, and only dropping the one game for the round due to the weather. And hopefully, we don't have a, a similar situation this weekend coming. And we're going to get a chance to review in depth each and every one of those opening games, albeit minus the the one that we didn't get to uh, didn't actually get to watch in the end with the Raw's Stuart Thomas, who will be joining us shortly. Before we go to him, Jason, is there a favourite? moment of the A-League? I mean, it's such a momentous occasion. I mean, to just say having games back is an easy answer. Is there a specific 
favourite moment from the weekend? I've I've got one that, that comes to my mind. Yeah, Dag- D'Agostino's header oh, is, yeah. is oh, mine. Um, that made me make uh, an involuntary noise. And you can tell a goal is good when something happens within you that just, just it was a little yeah. eep, you know, that yeah, just came out. You sort of jump off your couch. But it was just, I yeah, did, yeah, precision, power from distance, wet ball, all of those things. And he nailed it. And, um, yeah, that was definitely my highlight of the round. Absolutely. I'll tell you what mine was. It wasn't a specific moment. It was the the sensation of waking up on a Sunday morning, just uh, ticking along, waiting for... Where the, going, be careful where you're going with this. Sorry. Pretty, pretty, much, <laughs> pretty much waiting for the clock to strike one. Yep. And the minute that kickoff was ready for Wellington Adelaide United, plonking myself on the couch, nice cool glass of water, some orange juice as well, feet up. And just five straight hours of, of A-League with no concerns for the outside world. Uh, lucky man. Um, <laughs> lucky, lucky man. My family commitment sort of um, didn't allow me well, the, I don't same, know how the lucky, same luxury. I mean, honestly, I'm not sure how lucky I was because one of those two games was was Western Sydney, Perth Glory, which was a bit of a, 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 bit of a fizzler in truth. But I really thought you were going to... Um, Go with the Aussies abroad because there was a there was a goal in Scotland from uh, one of our Socceroos with a with a left foot that I thought would possibly would have been your highlight of the weekend. Well, it was very good. If if you don't know what Jason's talking about, it's uh, the late volley that Nathaniel Atkinson scored to get her Hearts uh, a two all draw against Kilmarnock, uh, and that's probably goes some way to explaining why I, as a Hearts fan, uh, wouldn't mention it. The fact that it was not a winning goal. Uh, on the volley, but a but a draw for a uh, a goal for a two all draw with Kilmarnock. You wouldn't have known that from the reaction of both in the Atkinson and the players. But you know, to be fair, it was it was yeah, quite was the goal. Cracker, left foot. It was quite the yeah. goal. Yeah, it even it even made the uh, the news here in, in the local news. It, I think it made um made the ten sports desk last night. Nick Tabano did a a little feature package on uh, that goal fe- it was nice in to there. Have a, nice to have a man on the inside, isn't there? Sometimes. Yeah. And um and Bay- uh, I did have to do a lot of stra- strong arm. I said, you get hearts <laughs> in that ten news package or else. Uh, and Bayich scored as well in Scotland as well, which was a which is a good thing. I think uh, the Aussies in in Scotland is going to. I think help in the long run, um, obviously pushing a lot more younger Australians into the A-League and then hopefully a springboard for them to move into that uh, that situation as well. Another young player, which we didn't, we were talking about a lot last week, mm-hmm. he didn't get the chance to play in Garang uh, Kual for the Mariners, has been selected in the under-20 side for Australia and so will miss some A-League games. Now, what do you think? I think he's only missing one game, so that's a good thing for the Mariners. Okay. But does that take him – does that actually propel him into the shop window for Arnie and the World Cup squad, or should he be back here playing in the A-League so more people are pushing for him and a bit more sort of on Broadway to push his case forward? I'm not sure. I think um, – I was listening to Montgomery talk about it, and I think that he probably should be given the chance to play a few more minutes of, of senior football rather than uh, – the under twenties, but anyway, ah, uh, yeah, that's true. I, I guess there would be some who would say that international football, even if it's at a youth level, should always be the pinnacle. I guess mm. we saw we saw Nestor Iran Kunda, of course, play for the the under seventeens. Yes, uh, over the uh, over the week and uh, book them a spot. The Joey's in the um, the Asian Cup for for twenty twenty three. So I guess there's there's precedent there. 
as someone who wants to catch another glimpse of the the Garang farewell tour uh, before he jets off for uh, the UK and potentially Portugal mm-hmm. or Spain or something like that, I'd like to see him stay in the A-League. But I can understand when the, the Australian call beckons, um, and especially when it's for you know important games. From a player's perspective, you maybe want to live up to that call-up and or from the national team coach's perspective, I want, if he's good enough for the seniors, I want Garang. Correct, correct. But anyway, we missed out on seeing him. So uh, hopefully, uh, well, in, in a perfect world too, that, uh, that F3 derby gets rescheduled within the next six weeks. Well, so we actually get some football before the World That's Cup. That's true. But yeah. it's interesting you said Nick Montgomery was talking about the fact that he deserves a chance at senior, you know, more senior football, and that's what's going to be best for him. But mm-hmm. He was picked on the the bench for the F three so derby was, alongside so was, Jason Cummings. Yeah, which is which is very strange. But we don't we will n- never know the reason why because the game never happened. That's so, true. Um, but yeah. it will happen, thank God. Yeah, and I'm sure it'll be different elevens at that stage. Um, hopefully, it happens before the World Cup, or at least uh, give the Cummings and Qual a chance to put further um, put forward their credentials again to get on that plane to Qatar. Because I think as supporters of the domestic game that we are. We want to see both of those guys on the plane, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I am told that... Uh, well, the other thing that happened over the weekend, and you've you've been tipping me off about this, is obviously fantasy was back. We all knew that was happening. Yeah, do but you have, Do you have a fantasy team? Uh, I do. I, I'm pleased to report that in my, my private league, I managed to get the, the win over uh, Stan Sports' Nick Stoll. Okay, nice. Uh, yep. It was tight. The, score? What score? Uh, I'd rather not say... Uh, it was. I think it was fifty five. So 55. it was only okay. it was only about average. Yep. But I must admit that the the lack of an F three derby did did hit me for for six. I invested heavily in Newcastle and Mariners. That, okay. Yeah. Yep. And, but who knows whether it would have been a good thing or a bad thing for me? Because the two players that I had playing in that game from memory were Piscopo and Cummings, and both were named on the bench. So. So 55 was a winning score in your league, but the overall fantasy league As a score long way short of the best. was 125. And who was the uh, the scorer of that uh, that top result? Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's uh, a member of the Brisbane Roar. Yeah, Kai Truen. Kai Truen, 125. He's, um, his team's heavily got a lot of heavily raw players. Is there is there a cash prize at the end of this? I think there's three cash prizes. So I think the top prize is $4,000. Can I be, this might shock you, be a bit of a, a wet blanket here? Sure, go for it. Now, I'm all for players having a bit of fun. Should, should we, should, should A-League men's players, active A-League men's players be allowed to have, is this insider trading when there's money on the line? I'd, I guess it probably, $4,000 probably means a lot to an, to an A-League player, perhaps. <laughs> Let's hope not. And look, um, McLaren was his captain, so 34 points there. Um uh, yeah, his goalkeeper is a is a Brisbane Raw player. So he's, he's mm. I th- I, to be fair, I think I did soften on that uh, that argument when I saw how many Brisbane players he had and how many of them were defenders who kept a, a clean sheet. He's got four. He's got Charlie Austin, who's probably it was one of the lowest scorers from his team. So we're not complaining. It's great. It's actually some good um, publicity to say they're having one of the players involved. I think anyway. Well, I think um, it's it, look. It's early doors, but I think it's um, it's. Wouldn't use the word hit necessarily, but it's certainly been good. Like people are talking about it. I was firing messages in my various group chats back and forward saying, Oh, bugger, this person's not starting, and yeah, bugger, it. this it's, person is starting. And it, it adds 
interest to the other games. Yeah, an extra bit of conversation and a reason to watch. Um, nice, to, uh, nice to finally have it. Yeah, other sports do it very, very well. Um, and obviously, I think having uh, not so many midweek or catch-up games as we have in the past is actually makes it uh, a chance that people aren't going to pick a team and then just ride it out for this season. You'll be actively involved because you'll know with the games coming up each weekend. Yeah, as well, well let's see, let's see how that continues because I don't know if, if other fantasy players are like this, but I have a, a, a tendency when it comes to uh, online, um, you know, fantasy coaching games to be a bit of a dummy spitter. And at the first significant obstacle, I will just stop paying any attention to the team and say that I quit. And, you know, if I do perform poorly, it's because I stopped taking an interest and not because I, my, the team I selected well, was bad. You want to know. So you have to. I, I have a, a pretty much guaranteed every season of Fantasy Premier League, Super Coach, Dream Team, whatever I play. There will be one week in a season where I will have more injuries in a single week, a single match week, than I can actually cope with in terms of in terms of trade. Sometimes even with the aid of a wild card, and yeah. that will be the week where I'm like, "Well, there's no possible way I can come back from this. I may as well just tender my resignation." Yeah, push, yeah, push Quiet quitting yeah. in fantasy <laughs> land. <laughs> there you go. Well, shall we uh, get into our round one review because we've got a. Uh, Got Stuart Thomas from the Raw ready to join us. Uh, Stuart, how did you enjoy the uh, the opening weekend of uh, A-League men's action? Hi, Lockie. How are you? I enjoyed it well. Hi, Jason. To you as well. Hey, Stuart. Um, just in regards to fantasy, you had me covered by a mile. <laughs> That's a relief. It's good to know I had someone covered. That's great. I had um, I had Leo Lacroix, who <laughs> then magically conceded a goal, own goal. Yep. Um, and numerous players from uh, the F3 derby as well. I think only about six guys took to the field that I selected, and then one of them concedes an own goal, and I thought, well, this is going really well. So I think I, I might have got 45, which is embarrassing, frankly, but when they're not on the pitch, there's not much you can do. But I enjoyed your comments about Brisbane Roar and Kai True, and it, it's an interesting question. So it's a... It's a Maybe He's I'm just saying that because I want $4,000. I don't know. Not, not that I'm yeah. any likely to get it. I scored 55. <laughs> yeah, it's a fascinating question because he's obviously having a bit of a hoot with it and backing his mates and having a bit of fun, and that's great. The problem is that if someone comes along and uses it for other purposes, I mean, I had a, I had a goalkeeper selected in a squad, and I was unsure who was going to start at goalkeeper. Now, the guy that I chose didn't start, and they went with another, and I thought, oh, gee, that makes it tough. Uh, can I access that information during the week? Probably not. Could a player access that information, certainly at his own club, uh, through mates at other clubs, potentially? But uh, in regards to the highlight of the weekend, I agree that both of the uh, moments that you picked were fantastic, but I thought the F3 derby was the highlight. Now, bear with me. The 5,000 people, just more than 5,000 people, who stood in that grandstand and applauded Matt Simon as the players came across, I thought that was absolutely fantastic. I, I thought, uh, let's face it, the Mariners have had numerous matches, not over the last season or two, but certainly in their darkest sort of period three or four years ago, where they weren't getting 5,000 people to a game of football. Mm. And to have 5,000 there standing, cheering for Maddie whilst he walks across in four inches of water, I thought <laughs> I thought that was a, just a terrific... That was very... One of those peak A-League moments that everybody's always interested in. I thought it was a great little moment in the game. I saw Carl Jenkinson's dad had also made the trip out from the UK to watch him as well, to go to one of the iconic 
stadiums with the sauce bottles and the palm trees as well, and they have the game called off for, I wonder what this, for, for the I, rain. I wonder what the sauce bottles would have looked like after heavy rain. Would they be, be a bit droopy? Would the structural integrity of the you know sauce bottle mascot be a bit sort of downtrodden because of the rain? I'm not sure. Possibly. So just to, just to backtrack on your on the, the fantasy very quickly, Clyde Truman mm. didn't have any MacArthur players in his in his team, so maybe we allow. Mm. Uh, we allow the players to compete, but they maybe get a few more trades. Well, I just want to send my condolences to you, Stu, for, for Lacroix, but it could have been worse because I'm assuming that you didn't... Did you have him as captain? Oh, that's a good point. Because oh. because what made me feel some gen, quite genuine sorrow for, for some other people playing fantasy this weekend was you would assume that when a player has a negative score, which, you know, is not uncommon in fantasy football, like soccer football games. It can happen. But yep. you'd think that if they're captained as well, the the, the algorithm is like, okay, we're not going to rub salt in the wound here. You just have the mm. negative score and we don't double it. But <laughs> yeah. but they did. They, do- they doubled it. So people who had captained this guy, who was one of the premium defenders, had negative yeah. eight. I thought that's... That's a bit much, yeah. surely. That that seems like double punishment. That's that's unfair. I, 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 I went. Sorry, I, I went with Isaias as captain, and I was. I thought about Previch because you know he's going to be there, and you know he's going to be fairly consistent. <laughs> yeah, sure you do. Uh, but I think I had Ben Garuccio might have been the, the the vice or something. But yeah, it, it is a it's a harsh system, yeah. and there's also some of the measurements around some of the criteria, and of course we're having fun, so we're not going to write a letter of complaint, but some of the, you know, the, the effectiveness of passes and link passes and things, some of that action's happening happening really quickly. And I know statistics are wonderful in the way they can be uh, accumulated and recorded, but yeah, it's one of those things that, well, I'm way off the pace. I think I've got to make it, take a few risks over the next few weeks, but it'll be interesting what happens with the game that we've missed out on, because I'm assuming that, we can't include that match that we've missed now in our first week selection. So no. I'm not, not sure how that doubles up later on, I but think, I guess I think it, it becomes, I think it becomes a double game week in future. So okay. if, if central coast presuming, presuming they maybe play that midweek, I mean, I don't know when else they could play it. Um, then yeah, Mariners and Jets players will have their score counted doubly. So heads up, uh, I'm pretty sure in that particular round where the rescheduled scheduled game is, maybe keep an eye out on bringing some uh, extra Central Coast and Newcastle players uh, into the fold because they might be might be very valuable scorers that particular week. That would be here's uh, a crazy idea as well. Could we get permission during the the window? Could we that get permission? Is, that I, I will say that is one of the thoughts that that crossed my mind. Of course, there may potentially mm-hmm. be some soccerers absentees, but I, I feel like it would be a bit of a a, a disservice to the F3 derby and how good many of the recent ones have been to to play it on a on a Wednesday. It feels kind of wrong, doesn't it? I would yeah, rather have yeah. it during the during the World Cup. You agree, Jason? Yeah, I think it, I'd like to get it over and no, not over and done with, but get it played before <laughs> the World Cup. Make it sound Cup. like no, such no. a chore. Well, no, no, because we needed it. I thought it was like a it's a selection game. It really is a selection game for those uh, fringe players in the squad. So they'd like to see it happen beforehand, but. Clearly, that'll all depend on the on the scheduling. Um, Stu, a lot of rain in, in uh, Sydney on the weekend. Do you re- how much did you think that uh, affected the crowd at the, for the Big Blue on Saturday night? That was the biggest well, crowd, sure. biggest crowd of the round. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what sort of information you got your hands on. 
I received a few little trickles. I had difficulty contacting the club because it was the weekend because the rain really started to look quite awful on yep. Saturday. And I was told by a reasonably reliable source that they claim there are up to 28,000 seats had been sold for the game. Okay. Now, I and that that floated around in social media a little bit as well, but I'd, I'd been told that by someone and their, their point was, well, the club won't care. That's great. You know, tickets have been sold. How many will actually turn up? I thought 22,000. Those, those, I didn't go to the game. I covered the game at home for, for, a, a, um, for one of the sites. But I, um, I was blown away that that many people actually attended. And I said yesterday in another media commitment, I, I thought it was almost as though the players shook hands before the game and said, all right, this, we are not going to play this as a boggy, wet weather affair. We, we are really, we're going to try and turn something on here and actually play the game. Potentially, is that a testament to the wonderful surface? It seemed the surface did seem to hold up really well. They were able to play football. Obviously, it was far from imperfect. Um, I thought that was a, that was, that's one of the best uh, blues I've seen in some time in terms of the quality in, in light of the conditions. I yeah. thought it had a, a lot going for it. It, it, only, it was only really noticeable watching on TV when the close-ups and how heavy the rain was. And then I think during the game, I think it was only the last five minutes when the players started to slide around a little bit more that the pools of water and the puddles started to be quite prevalent. Um, and yeah. it was quite amazing that the, the, the ebb and flow of the game considering the conditions all the way through. Now, um, excuse my ignorance, does the, the refurbed stadium, is that increase the capacity or is that about the same at 45,000? The old Sydney football stadium, I think, used to be 44 and change. Okay, so it's about the same. So this yep. is very, very similar in that way. And that caused a lot of debate in Sydney because some people felt they should have gone bigger. Yep. I'm pretty sure Sydney FC, I, I don't think they had sort of any ambitions of drawing 55,000 to matches in the next 10 years. So I don't particularly think they would have cared as much. But um, it, it, it came up really nicely on TV. I don't know if you've heard, there are some complaints around, as you probably picked up. There's numerous people claiming they were wet and they were in areas where they were not supposed to be getting wet. Yep. I kind of think that maybe those weather circumstances just can't, no stadium can yeah, potentially yeah, can be hold it. Yeah. yeah, so, well, that you know, and obviously there might be some little patch-ups and touch-ups and things that get done, but... It comes across lovely on television. The people, everyone that I know who's been to the games is calling it, you know, we're back home. It's fantastic. They enjoyed it. I've seen pictures of people in their uh, their, their season seats, you know, looking out from their view and the views look really appealing. I haven't heard a lot of complaints. So it was pleasing that the game lived up to, you know, this, this brand new toy that, you know, Sydney's got. After being nomads for a, a few years now, is this going to be the impetus to get them back up, do you think, in terms of the crowd numbers for Sydney FC, the new stadium? I'd be surprised if they're not pulling 20,000-ish, give or take either side of that, for at least their first five to six to seven matches. Yep. If things go sour, which, based on what I saw the other night, I don't think they will. There was some, some really positive signs there. I think if things go sour, okay, you could see a drop-off on that. I always think back, Jason, to a game, and this is back to the, you know, the, the pre-corona days, you know, imagine what that was like. Um, there was a match played at, uh, they, they were out at, um, it was Cogra, 
not not Leichhardt. And they played West. Uh, they played Wellington Phoenix, and I think it was seventeen thousand at Cogra for Phoenix. And Sydney were pulling some really good crowds, and obviously they were on the back at the end of their sort of really dominant, you know, period, or maybe more in the middle of it actually. Yeah. And um, seventeen thousand, and basically no opposition supporters in Well in Wellington, Phoenix. I thought that's pretty good. I remember back to that season, and there were some really strong crowds. I truly think that you, you know what you've alluded to there. I do think this is we're going to see a very different Sydney FC, and hopefully we can see a very very different Western Sydney Wanderers because I know a bit of my stomach sort of fell when I saw the crowd figure for that game. I'd hope for a lot more. Yeah, we're, we're lucky, and I were talking about that before the show. Actually, what it was a, a bad aesthetic, you know. Um, the weather seemed to improve a little bit, and and then you've got you know two thirds of that uh, that stadium empty. Will the Sydney FC? I guess it all depends on results. Will them getting the crowd back and a bit more support sort of be a bit of a boost for the Wanderers, or are the Wanderers their own sort of uh, I guess crowd basket case has been for the last few seasons, given what they started with. It's an interesting. It's a really interesting question how it, how both of their plights impact each other. I think when Sydney are flying, historically, Western Sydney Wanderers fans voted with their feet. Yep. And for many of us in Sydney, that was my concern with that club right from the beginning. I I said from day one, way when we're talking over a decade now, that I didn't think that club was going to be sustainably successful unless there were some structural changes made. There were uh, there were massive issues in the supporter base, which all came to fruition in, in later years. I had no faith that the people that were there uh, were going to be there for the long term in the same numbers and yep. selling out what used to be, what, Ertec Stadium or whatever it was called. Mm. There, there weren't 20-something thousand passionate Western Sydney Wanderers fans. I have a couple of friends who are members They've been their foundation members. They'll be there every year, and the Western Sydney Wanderers appear to have somewhere between seven to twelve thousand people who will attend all of their home matches. And I don't think Sydney FC give uh, a hoot one way or the other. I don't think there's any impact that way. Of course, the Milos Ninkovic defection is going to be an interesting interplay between them. Uh, but, but I think yeah. The Wanderers sort of they need to clean the house out and get things sorted. But in saying that, I honestly think they've taken a huge step forward. I've picked the Wanderers to finish in the top four. Now, people might slap me across the face and say that's crazy, but that club's different this year, and the recruitment is good, in my opinion. <clears throat> so hopefully, some of that evolution and that growth and that change and the cleaning out, hopefully, they've now taken a step forward. Well, they were the best-looking teams in round one, the Wanderers, according, according to, to Mark, Mark Rudan. Rudan yeah. yeah, not sure if we were watching quite the same game, but anyway. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know what, though, it depends what. And of course, coaches, you know, gild Lily a bit or quite a lot, but you could interpret that answer as being true if you tweaked it in this way. My issue with the Wanderers is they need to be tougher. I know some people here in Sydney who are very, very close friends with a few of the imports that have been to Western Sydney over the last three to four to five years. They were astounded at the stories they were getting from some of the imports. And the imports were, they were astounded themselves at just how low on motivation, 
bordering on unprofessionalism and not really caring about the results. Young Wanderer players saying, making comments about, well, does it really matter? You know, does it really matter that much? And these these more seasoned overseas pros were absolutely astonished. Now, if there's one person who's going to walk into a club and not stand for that, it's Mark Rudin. So I think if he says they were the best-looking team, I could mount an argument that maybe to his eyes they were the best-looking team because the one thing they did do on the weekend, they defended much more resiliently than they have in the past and they looked tougher and harder and more ruthless. And if that team plays, it's exactly what Western United did last year. If they play with that defensive intensity, the Wanderers can be a very, very successful top six team this year. So what was your standout for um, round one, Stu? What, what, which player, team really sort of uh, – we, we talked about the highlights, but which, uh, which player, which, which team do you, do you sort of get surprised about and which, and which sort of player or, or club did you think, oh, okay, that's, that's where they're going to be? Or you, what, what was well, your first impressions? The, the one player that stood out, and, and I'll go with a bigger name to start with because I think that that question sort of alludes to that, you know, who, who are the people that we think are going to be influential for a long time. I thought Robert Mack for Sydney, their New Slovakian import, was really, really good. Now, he wasn't perfect. Sydney were far from perfect. They were a little bit of a mess at times, yet... Joe Lolly and he look like, wow, these two guys are going to produce something really exciting for Sydney FC. Uh, I'm not aligned to Sydney FC. I've, I've got no motivation to say that other than what I saw with my eyes. Sure. However, the one player that I probably, he, he, he's, he's 20 years old, and I had to look that up on, on Sunday or Monday because I wasn't sure, but that, that young fella at Sydney, Patrick Yazbek, was absolutely fantastic, and he, he really caught my eye. Um, obviously, I had I, not much from what Western United did. I found particularly appealing. MacArthur were really disappointing in my eyes. But the one other player that I thought sparked his team, uh, sadly, uh, it's another losing team. But that was Chris Economides when he came on in the second half. He really got mm. the, uh, uh, I won't say back into the game, but he he certainly uh, sparked something in attack that they'd been missing before that. Yeah, I, I was astounded to find out as well that that was his first victory goal. He'd been sort of uh, knocking a couple back in preseason at the Australia Cup game against Western United. He was very profligate in a, in a line leading display, but yeah, no such troubles when he came off the bench. I think he really did add a uh, a different dimension, and it's a good problem for Tony Popovich to have because Ben Falami obviously got the assist for D'Agostino as well. Mm-hmm didn't exactly have a, a poor game. And Nani is pretty much a, a lock to start on the opposite flank, but those are two pretty premium attackers to to be able to call on. Stuart, you, you mentioned the yeah. influence that, that Robert Mack and, and Joe Lolly had, and they are very well-credentialed players. It's not surprising to see them have a bright start, but I'm curious to know what you made of uh, of Sydney's sort of uh, new look, I guess, new approach under Steve Corica going with this four three three. We did see a lot of Mac and Lolly as a as a result, sort of cutting inside and shooting quite often. But it, it wasn't all it wasn't all perfect. There were a few leaky moments for the, for the defence. Adam Lafondra found it quite difficult to get on the ball. I think he had 
single-digit touches in, in the game. How did you see their, their new approach uh, working or, or not working for them in some cases? I think they're a work in progress very much because there's significant changes. When you strain, when you change a formation like that, that's going to be huge. And Lolly and Mac were, were really, really good. And But purely based on raw talent, it wasn't so much, oh, they look really good because of all these wonderful combinations they're building. It, it was just their, their, their individual skills. LaFondra looked like he was completely squeezed out by that. Now, there's two ways to look at that. Firstly, that could be a really bad thing because he's obviously been a focal point there. In another way, it could be a a really positive thing because he's on ageing legs now. He's a wonderful player, LaFondra, but he's been around a long time. Can Sydney, one of Sydney's issues over the last, sorry, over last year because he was away before that, but one of the big issues was can, can he come back and can he provide the goals and be the focal point and he, it didn't really work that way last season. So you can kind of look at that in a few different ways. If he's squeezed out and his numbers drop and his influence drops and the team is winning, that's going to be a really positive for them. But then the, I guess the subsequent, question, the subsequent question is, can they find the goals from others that will enable them to win? And that is a bit of an issue because they, I mean, Pat Wood's there waiting in the wings do they have another player ready to step into that role and work with Lolly and Mac and be able to score the goals? I'm not sure at this point. Luke Bratton obviously looked well short of a gallop, and we know why, because of his long-term injury. There's a big positive on him because I personally think he's still one of the most underrated uh, domestic players in, in the A-League. So there's a lot of positives there. But, I, yeah, I think that is going to take some time to work out how they... They work that combination. Uh, Mac, to me, looks like he should be a very, very central figure and pulling a lot of strings, whereas Lolly, as as I think Jason said, cutting back, and he just looked like he there's a little bit of flair there. Um, so it's 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 Steve Corica's job to balance that out. Is he able to do that? Well, two years ago, everybody would have said yes, but people are now sceptical and they're doubting whether he can do that. So that's a big challenge for him. Yeah, and look, yeah. it's the, the it's exciting to have players cutting into that kind of space, but I guess there's an argument to be made that it does step on LaFondra's toes. You, they do end up occupying his airspace, and there's another point to suggest that maybe how sustainable is it to, to base a lot of your approach on you know just cutting inside and firing off shots from the edge of the box, but it, it is only one game. But you do wonder, like, would if that's the way that they plan for both of those wingers to to go about it, would they be better served by having someone in that role who is more of a centre forward as opposed to a, a poacher, someone who could be the link between those wingers and play them into goal scoring positions as opposed to being someone who needs the actual service themselves? As I said, one game, but I think it'll yeah. be interesting to to keep an eye on on that one as for melbourne victory jason i think we both had them tipped as champions at, at the end of this yeah, I this think coming season it was definitely up definitely be up there and i think they've got a, a lot coming off the bench that's going to prove to to be um quite difficult to match if you think about um economides coming off the bench it's, it's some pretty decent firepower that they've got there 
Um, I want to ask you about uh, another Barisha that's joined the A League, and we got a <laughs> we got a character almost straight away with um, a post match interview. <laughs> How did you find his game? Yeah, well, Barisha by name, Barisha by nature. He's um, it, uh, look, it's it's great for the league. Leagues of any sport, we've, we're seeing it in the Big Bash at the moment. The, the thing is falling to pieces because there's no stars. They're, you know, the, the the Australian cricketers are off elsewhere. Our big name players are not aren't there, and every league needs stars. You need big names. We've seen the impact that Nani's had already. Uh, those two little, those two young fellows that ran on the pitch. That's a terrible thing. It should never be allowed to happen. Obviously, because of security impact and so forth. Yet little moments like that are fantastic because it just shows you know the sheer love of this player. Little moments like that. Charlie Austin's, you know, early weeks or months now here have been terrific. And Valon Barisha looks to be a really exciting prospect. He probably, I must say he lost his cool, but he, he certainly was far too emotional in the post game. And he'll need a little bit of, well, I don't think he needs the training. I'm not too sure in, in terms of language, uh, what he thought he was saying and, and what he ended up saying. I'm not hundred percent sure, uh, but yeah, he needs to kind of rein that in. But I tell you what, they're, they're sitting there right now, just sort of thinking, wow, we've, 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 we've got a ripper on our hands. I mean, he just well, looks like a real competitor. Not, not if you ask Patrick his normal. He said he was asked uh, about Barisha at the end of the game in the, the, the post-match press conference. And his, his quote was, uh, he done okay. I mean, if that's, yeah. if that's okay, you sort of, Shudder to think about what good from Valon Barisha will I, be. I think that maybe he heard Robbie Thompson's commentary and that led to his um, colourful language post-game. Did you, catch, did you catch that? But I, I don't think he was. Um, I don't think Robbie was using the same. Well, R- Robbie's F bomb was a, a point of, I guess, contention and grey area. I think Valon's was a bit more black and white. Now, just to, from a Socceroos perspective, Stu um, Marco Tilio. Um, started the last Socceroos game, but he's again on the was on the bench starting for Melbourne City, and he seems to lack some confidence in around goal with a, with a sh- shot for the Socceroos and and in that first game when he came off the bench mm. on Friday. Do you think he will stay on the plane with Arnie and get to Qatar? We're running out of spots on that plane. That's that's a real concern for me. Well, sorry, not a concern. That's not the right way. That's a it's a concern for the players, but. There, there are. There's enough players putting their hand up, and we've probably got. I think for at least the last three World Cups, I don't think we've ever had a, a, a more vast collection of players to choose from that, that could potentially, you know, do reasonably well if given a chance. I, I, I'm not sure about Marco Tilio. I think he's a fantastic player, but I, I truly don't think he's ready and composed and poised enough, poised enough in those moments. A few minutes ago, we mentioned uh, Joe Lolly cutting back, potentially cramping others. I'll never forget some footage I saw. It'd be four years ago. It was when Daniel Arzani first played and an automobile also had the same uh, situation playing like nationally. As is Bayich is bombing on the left-hand side and he's screaming at these players as he's trying to make long runs into attack and get in behind. And he's screaming at these young guys, get out of my way, because they're tucked in over on the left-hand side um, and, and they're in his way. And Bayich was furious. Now, he's obviously a really experienced head, really understands exactly what he's trying to do. And he's playing uh, 
a Steph Catley role on the left-hand side there, get in and whip those little balls across. The young boys just don't didn't get it. Now, they probably do now. So four or five years down the track, we've got a fit Daniel Arzani who looks really good. He looks enthusiastic and ready to rip. And all of a sudden, from, from what I've seen already, his positioning is better. I think Marco Tilio suffers from the same thing. I think he sometimes gets himself into slightly I went, incorrect positions, perhaps dis- positions that don't advantage him as much, as much as being somewhere else might. And I think that we're seeing some reservations about him does Nick D'Agostino potentially force his way onto the plane because of his aerial presence? Is that more valuable than someone like Tilio, a player that we have a few different versions of, potentially? So I think it's a real challenge for him. If he gets there, he'll have to firstly get some really consistent three or four uh, weeks of minutes with, with City and he'll have to do really, really well because I, I don't think he's there just yet. Yeah, I, I guess... Yeah. The last World Cup, we had Arzani as that X factor off the bench that was definitely going to be used for 10, 15 minutes. And if we need to do that again, there's actually three or four putting their hand up to do that sort of, you know, surprise pace run of Arzani's putting his hand back up. Tilio's one used at the Olympics to do the same thing. Garen Quoll, obviously. So it's going to be yeah. tough. Um, I agree. And we were saying there's, there's not um, too many... Uh, people vying for spots on the plane and there's actually more spots because there's 26 going to this World Cup as well so it's a really interesting one yeah I mean I I wonder if perhaps is that issue you're you're pointing out Stu with with Tilio perhaps a a problem of utilization as opposed to an issue with the the player I've often thought that he was a uh, much more damaging and and is at his most potent when he's operating sort of through a a central area, not as a striker, but perhaps as an attacking midfielder. And even when he is playing on the wing, a lot of his damage is getting those one-on-ones sort of on the edge of the penalty box past a centre-back. We saw him have that great chance that he could nearly have scored, but for a a fine save from Jamie Young in in the game against Western United. But I I take your point. We do have um, a a number of, I I guess, those X-factor players, I suppose, who are who are vying for those final few spots. But your point on on D'Agostino, I wonder if maybe uh, the performance we saw from him, and and it really was, it wasn't just the goal. It was the all-around performance. And I think he's built on his all-around game, his ability to to play a a bit deeper and and bring others in and play one-touch passes. It wasn't always something that he had, but he's clearly, I think, become a more mature player I don't think that necessarily gives a problem to Marco Tilio potentially so much as it may do someone who didn't play on the weekend, which was Jason Cummings. That's my theory, at least. Yeah, potentially. I guess there's, there's a whole heap of questions that Graham Arnold, you know, could ask himself and people would ask him. Do you, you know, do you take a qual ahead of a Tilio? You know, um, you know, do you, as you say, is it is it is it a utility sort of feature or problem? You know, you. You've got Mobile, you've got Tilio, you've got others. Then you've got to throw other players into the mix, uh, you know, Craig Goodwin and, and others who, you know, depending on exactly how they're used, side of the pitch, that a lot of them seem to be left-sided. But I think, to me, D'Agostino is really fit. And I think it's the first time I've seen him look so uh, balanced and composed and fit and with a, a, a touch of class. And I think, and I mentioned this yesterday on radio to someone else, that 
the one thing I think he's got is in his advantage, and many of the other boys do as well, is the time that he did spend with Arnold when he took over the Ollie Roos for that short period. There's obviously a relationship there, and we all know that Arnold has players he really inherently trusts. I don't know whether Nick D'Agostino is one of those players, but I've got a gut feeling that he might be, and I think he does offer as a striker, or I won't say as a striker, he, he, he offers as a front third player because it's, it's irrelevant which role he's playing at that time. What he offers is that point of difference of a little more height, a little more athleticism. He's nowhere near as good with the ball on the ground as a couple of those other players are, yet we have numerous players who fill that role. So I think Tilio, Tilio is, uh, I think he's a, a World Cup player in four years. I'm not sure whether he's a World Cup player now, but only one person will decide that. And I think with Arnie, um, if we had at any stage are chasing the game and he's looking for long balls to to be knotted in, that D'Agostino is the is the guy that possibly have to look at. If we don't have big Harry Sutara to chuck up the front towards yeah, the end, anyway. Yeah. Well, let me. I want to put a, a hypothetical to you then, Stu, because you know Tilio maybe being a, a player who lacks that, in your view, composure to. Uh, take important chances that might be few and far between uh, for Australia at a World Cup. Would you be taking Garan Quall if you're you are Graham Arnold? Would he be Would he be on the plane? I guess you could level. He showed great finishing ability in what we've seen, but you could maybe make the argument that he doesn't have that experience that's required to to step up. Now that's not necessarily a view I hold, but I'm curious to know if you, if you'd have him involved in in the squad. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because Tilio could easily turn around and say, I've done some hard yards and played some really, really good matches and have a little and have a fair uh, you know, deal of experience now. How can you just take this kid who's unproven? Yes, he's brilliant. Yes, he's so raw. And that's fair enough. But I think the reverse argument back to him could be, well, there is a reason why pretty much the richest football club in the world want his signature mm. because there is something a little special and a little different there. It's it's very unpolished and it's very raw. I personally was really disappointed with the World Cup four years ago, if that's how it works out now. When was it? No, it's actually, yeah, it is it four years four. ago. Yep. Yeah, I keep thinking everything's gone to three to five. miss two um, years all the time. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the thing that really concerned me was the the absence, well, not the absence, he was there, but he didn't get to play, and that was Mass Longo. Now, Mass's career has, unfortunately, it's too easy to say it's gone down the toilet because he's still around and he's playing reasonable football, but but he, you know, Asian Cup 215, he looked a world beater, and unfortunately, because of the coaching situation we took into that last World Cup where we, we had Bert Van Marwijk, who essentially tried to win the first game, tried to win the second game, hardly made any changes at all, we had no development. And I thought that was really uh, disappointing. And I wouldn't like to see that happen again. And if you've got 26 guys on a plane, I think Qual can go because I think you can feel really certain that he'll be there next time. Yeah. And I think that justifies a spot. And it's an investment more than anything. And the other guy in terms of Tilio, the, the difficulty has, I think, Riley McGree gets a little bit lost in a lot of these conversations. I think Riley's got so much upswing at the moment. He's still a young man. He's he is rock hard fit, playing really hard football week in, week out with Middlesbrough. And I 
I don't know if we need, you know, four or five guys in with that sort of potential X factor to go on and play the role that McGree does. I think we've got a couple, and sometimes it's Mobile, sometimes it's McGree, and who knows, in the craziness of a World Cup, if we manage to jag a point against France and, and, and do well and enter a last game and, wow, we actually we could actually get through, who says Qual doesn't make a 15-minute appearance at the end in the desperate search of that goal? Yeah. I'd be confident he'd do well. I Same. think most people would back him. So it's an interesting discussion, and Arnie will have to work it out. He's going to disappoint a lot of players, though. Well, I think the, th- the thing with Qual for me is that We've had pretty much every time he's been asked to make some sort of step up. Uh, I get that he hasn't started a game yet, but every time he's been asked to, to make a step up, there has been a, a doubting Thomas element from all of us being like, okay, is he capable of making this jump? But really, when has he ever, in the chances he's had to, to make a step, when is he really disappointed? Like there was a lot of concern whether he was up to the level when he was picked, was a commissioner's pick for the A-League All-Stars. He played a brilliant game. There was concern whether he was ready for international football despite not having started for the friendly against New Zealand, but he came off the bench and added a completely different dimension. So there's perhaps a, a point where we have to actually give this guy a bit more credit and say, you, you haven't exactly proven us. You, you, you've proven people who said you can't make the leap wrong on yeah. both occasions so far. Why not get him the chance to, to do that at, at, a, at a world cup, I guess is, is my view. And if you're thinking about four years time, Wow, you know, there are so many of these young boys here at the moment that, that got their chance because of COVID and, and, and you don't need 15 of them to be brilliant and succeed. You only need two or three. Yeah, and once they blend in with the squad, then in a few years, we hopefully have another two or three. So I think you've got to look at him as a, a bit of a precious asset. And he's not the only one. There are obviously other players, but I think you've got to look at him. And I think we have to be really open-minded to Daniel Arzani, I'm not suggesting he's worthy of a spot in Qatar right now. Uh, if he was to play three man-of-the-match performances over the next three or four weeks, I think he would enter calculation. However, I, I, that's unlikely, but I think we have to be really open-minded and think four years and look at the ages of these guys and, and, and realise, because I think Australian football, still many people in the game, downplaying these guys. I, I remember being in a function a couple of years ago and I said, you're going to see something special in the next 10 years. The talent, these young boys, I just think this is the best we've seen for a long, long time. This is the first generation through the curriculum, which of course has its problems, but these boys are polished. They're ready to go. And I think this is why we're seeing more and more guys get opportunities elsewhere. Okay. People, they, people then say, Oh, it's Scotland. Who cares? Fair enough. I accept that argument, but, the, the fact is, is that these guys are so talented and we have a great nucleus. Arnie's got to work out who are the 10 or 12, whatever it is, who will be there in four years' time, along with some guys that are already in the squad. And if we can work on that team over the next three or four years, we, we could be seeing a really, I won't say they're going to win the World Cup, but we could be seeing a side that's more hopeful of getting through a group phase, even though we've got some hope this time around. Stuart, it's been great to chat the opening uh, opening round with you. Before we before we let you go, I'm going to ask you the same question pretty much that you answered w- when you joined us. Uh, what are you looking forward to most for the upcoming round? You answered what your best part of last weekend was. What about this weekend? What takes your fancy? I should, I should have also added, because I wrote something down this afternoon because I thought it was one of the best things I saw, 
and that was uh, Steven Yagakovich and Costa Barbarousas. I thought they were, mm. you know, a couple of more senior guys. I know Yagakovich isn't an old man by any stretch, but a couple of more senior guys going back and doing what they did. They were absolutely fantastic. I think we are going to see something. I, I'll be covering the game on Saturday night and Victory and Western Sydney Wanderers, I assume they're at Amy. Of course, they're at Amy. Yep. I think we could be seeing something really special in that game. I honestly think, as you both alluded to, Victory look like a top four team. I think the moment that uh, I think the moment that Tony Popovich brought in, you know, four, five, six, whatever it was, uh, previous and present Socceroos, put a layer of depth in that squad that is just very, very impressive. And I, I think this is going to be a week, a match where people will truly believe in the Western Sydney Wanderers if they win this match. Even if they manage a draw, I think people will say, wow, this is a different team because there'll be 20-something thousand at that stadium, I would anticipate, pending good weather. Victory will be rampant. And I think it's the best sound in the league, the the victory celebration after a goal. I don't think there's a better, uh, more emotive sound to a neutral fan. I think we could see something really special. The Wanderers might completely collapse and if victory put four on them, it'll be back to... uh, back to the drawing board. But I think it could be a crack. Now, one way or another, it is going to be an illuminative Saturday evening, an illuminative even Saturday evening for the Western <laughs> Sydney Wanderers. Stu, great to chat A-League with you. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Hopefully we'll uh, get to speak to you again soon. And if people want to uh, read your report this weekend, where can they read it? They can read it on theraw.com.au. And, um, yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff happening at the moment. Obviously we're in, and everyone's in, pre-World Cup plans. So, there's a whole lot of Matilda content, a bit of Socceroo content, and lots of Ailing content, which is great. Um, thanks for the chat, Lockie and Jason. Enjoyed it. Perfect. Thanks, Stu. thanks for your time, Stu. That was Stuart Thomas from The Raw. And I have to agree with him. I'm really looking forward to that uh, that Western Sydney-Melbourne victory game, not least for the reasons Stu outlined. It's going to give us a, a bit more of an idea of what the Wanderers are, are, are made of. I don't think... I must be honest, as someone who had them still outside the top six, they've they've got to sort of earn people's trust and, and, and goodwill as a team that really can do some damage. I'm not sure how much of that goodwill was was bought back against Perth Glory, to be to be honest with you. But a, a couple of key players that will still take a little time to gel, I'm sure. Lawrence Thomas, Brandon Borello, um, mm. Milos Ninkovic. So, well, I think there yeah. was two two players from last season in the starting 11 well, that Mark Rudan yeah. named. So it's going to take some time to click. And I think that was certain. And Perth were much the same. I think that was certainly true of of that game on on Sunday which I think is one we can probably consign to the to the dustbin of history but uh, look Victory's North End I believe is already sold out awesome. for this fixture yep. so on a considering it's Tuesday uh, getting towards 7 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight here in Melbourne that's that's a pretty good time that's pretty good to be sold out or have a portion sold out that far in advance of the game but like it's easy to forget that five, six years ago, this was a game that was treated with some serious like reverence with by both sides. You know, the RBB would travel down here. There'd be quite a number of them. It was pretty much the two biggest and best active support groups in the league. Like this was a fixture that really meant something. And that was when Western Sydney was strong as well. It has lost that luster, but wonder maybe 
we start to see a, a tick back in the right direction from, from that game this weekend, even if it does end as I think it will, a, a victory win. Yeah, and the big rain is going to dissipate by Saturday night too. Well, Popovich against his old team, all the, those kind of narratives. It's, oh, it's, my, it's my pick of the of the round as well. Looking okay. forward to that very much. Shall we do some uh, quick fire predictions before we head off? Yeah, let's do it. Where shall we start? Our first game, Brisbane Roar in Melbourne City. Oh, wow. See, I, I always set myself this challenge of being quick fire and then I think a million thoughts about the, uh, about the game. Um, look, hard to go against Melbourne City, I think, on, on the opening showing. But Brisbane a team that have given them problems in the past. So I think it'll be closer than maybe people think. I'm going to go City 2-1. City for me. Newcastle at home to Perth Glory on the Saturday afternoon. Newcastle gave them an absolute shellacking. Well, one of their <laughs> many shellackings last year for Perth. I think Newcastle will win again. Yep. Uh, margin will be perhaps less convincing. Let's say yep. 3-1. Jets easy for me. Victory versus Wanderers. Victory for me at home. I say victory three one. I'm not. I'm still not convinced by the Wanderers. Then three games on Sunday. We start with the Phoenix and the Mariners. Oh, this set. Uh, this is good for me. You, yeah, you know what my Sunday time. plans were. <laughs> feet up, and uh, my feet are going to be definitely be up for Wellington Phoenix Central Coast Mariners. I'm going to go for a Desmond a two two draw for me two, two. as well. Um, That'll be a great game. MacArthur, home to Adelaide United. Ooh, not quite as excited about this one. One all draw. Uh, I'm going to go for Adelaide for that one. And then the final game for Sunday, Western United at home or at Amy Park against Sydney FC. This is a, that's a big game. That's a, that's a really, maybe maybe a, a sort of underrated, a, a sleeper sell for big game. But Well, both of them lo- losing the first round. Coming off losses yeah, in, in the opening round. Yeah. Who who do you think a win is more important to? It's probably Western United, I guess. You you don't want to start the you know the Premiership defence with two losses. I think mm. uh, tight one Western United for me. Just yeah, I'll go with Western United one nil. That's the round. Perfect. Well, I'm looking forward to sinking our teeth into that. Next Tuesday, Jason, any any final words from you before we head off? No, good to have the football back. Let's get all six games going this weekend. Let's uh, pray to the weather gods. It is great. And before we head off here on uh, the Oz Football Hour with Jason Goldsmith and myself, Lockie Flanagan, a reminder, if you've missed any of the show, our chat with the Raw Stuart Thomas, you can catch it on your preferred podcast platform on demand. And, of course, we've been reviewing the round one of A-League Men's Action with thanks to GIS. You can kickstart your football career or career in football with a postgraduate degree from the Global Institute of Sport if you head to gis.sport/fnr and you can do potentially online classes with uh, some opportunities to go to the MCG to do classes. Did you ever attend uh, the MCG to do a, For a classroom? any of your degree? I may have attended the MCG when I was supposed to be in the classroom, but that's a different story altogether. Well, this time you get uh, you get to go to the MCG and you get academic credit. So gis.sport slash FNR is the place to go. And if you want to hear this show again, or if you've missed it, any podcast platform that you like, just search for Football Nation Radio. But until next Tuesday, we'll be reviewing round two uh, from Jason Goldsmith and from Lockie Flanagan. Goodbye for now. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter. Costa Barbarousas. Wow. Yeah. Like a salmon, a spawning salmon. And Diamante again. Oh, he's done it. Unbelievable kick. Come on here.